Hello and welcome to Build Back Better, a series of online conversations from For the Region about the future of South West Wales. Hello and welcome to Build Back Better from For the Region, a series of conversations with some amazing people, organisations and businesses across our region who are making amazing things happen and helping us to build that flourishing prosperous, healthy, happy region that we all want to see. Today I'm delighted to be talking to Angie Bettany. Now Angie is the leader of a new project in Swansea called Room to Grow. Hi Angie, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> nice to see you. Let's start with a bit about you and your background. I know you, you run a business in Swansea already. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Tell us about, uh, about your background. Uh, I think I probably always, always have been an entrepreneur. My dad runs his own business, so I think it's kind of in the family um, where if you have an idea, you just give it a go and see, see how it is. Yeah, I wasn't ever really looking to join and be a career step, step, step kind of person. I just started doing things and faking it till I make it, basically. So yeah, I've done a series of different jobs of anything from homeschooling uh, children with autism which I absolutely adored then I went and did some international development work then I worked for a charity doing international development work so taking youngsters from Swansea over to like Uganda and things like that very much just always kind of ended up in in a leadership role somehow <laughs> it meant that I, it gives you the confidence to just do things and work out how if you don't know how to do it you just work out what you need to do to get something done so um, yeah I think that was instilled in me from a young age your cafe in Uplands in Swansea tell us about that how long ago did you open that and tell us about the place but then also tell us how lockdown has been for you and whether you're surviving Yes, so I established Hooger Cafe and Kitchen with my good friends who run Little Valley Bakery. We opened it in 2017, so we're coming up to our third birthday in November. The third year has been an interesting one. Obviously, the first two years of business anyway, you're in survival mode. You're really trying to get into the community and, and establish yourself, and which we kind of thought we'd done in January, which was probably paid off well at the moment, but basically then yeah lockdown hit in March we'd had two of our best months to date and then it was closure time which obviously has been a interesting journey for everyone we we had 16 members of staff at the time there was a lot of pressure on us to kind of guide them through something that we didn't even really understand ourselves so a lot of kind of pressure in that sense to make sure that their jobs were safe and they felt reassured and everything so we were closed for 10 weeks and we went into kind of hibernation where we weren't allowed to trade at all during that time to, to qualify for the furlough scheme because of the way that it was set up. So, so we, went, we went quiet, but we tried to continue that engagement with the community doing podcasts and how to hygge at home. So hygge Cafe is named after the Danish concept of, of hygge. Uh, you might have seen it written down. It's normally spelled H-Y-G-G-E. It's that cozy feeling kind of equivalent to what we've got in the kutch feeling in Wales except Huga goes a bit deeper into quality over quantity looks at the environment a lot it encourages getting engaged with nature and we felt that that really fitted with our ethos as business partners with a commitment to organic produce and local produce not business for business's sake business for connecting with the community and giving back to to the customers so we offer very high quality food but at a reasonable price we don't try and be a premium market we want it to like good food to be accessible and I think because of that connection with the community and yeah just an honesty to our work we've 
gained a lot of community support that has ridden us through this coronavirus pandemic and we're so grateful to all of our customers for that so we we did close for 10 weeks completely and then because we just didn't feel like it was safe to operate we we were allowed to because we were a food business but we just felt like it wasn't the time and then 10 weeks in we opened for takeaway pizza which was great so nice to see some faces again and people doing curbside collection and that kind of thing and then we've been we actually open fully again for another 10 weeks we did the eat out to help out scheme which was great was really busy but we were very strict on the regulations so we kept the staff safe we were wearing visors and it just wanted to build that reputation of being responsible i think that the whole pandemic has put things into perspective where you know money isn't everything and it is about safety well-being and looking after each other and so we just really wanted to make make Hugo a safe place that people could come and bring people that maybe weren't out so much in in the public and just ease them back into normal life so it's been really nice reconnecting with the community I did keep myself busy during lockdown anyway and started this project because I yeah. can't sit still yeah uh, let's uh, let's come on to talk about that I was going to say you didn't sit around doing nothing and you've launched a project called Room to Grow so again that seems to be very much in alignment with the values that you've talked about local food and environmental and connecting with the community. Tell us about Room to Grow and what's involved in that project. Room to Grow actually is an idea from a friend of mine, Mike Scott, who is collaborating with me on the project. And it's this idea around Uplands and Brynmill that there's a lot of wasted space, primarily in people's front gardens. There's a lot of tarmac, there's a lot of concrete. It's quite a gray area. It's kind of unkept. And on the, on the same side, there's, there's a lot of people living in the area who have an interest in local food or organic produce but the two don't kind of marry up and people are on waiting lists for allotments or getting veg boxes from the gower because there's nothing local to feed that need so we kind of brought the two ideas together and thought instead of joining a waiting list for an allotment or looking for a perfect space that we've got to drive half an hour to why don't we use the unused spaces right on our doorsteps and start growing food in them so that's what we did uh, we ran a pilot project during lockdown we worked closely with the local councillors who were really on site they were amazing gave us some seed funding as well to be able to run a pilot in may and june where we installed six raised bed allotments in people's front garden and we grew courgettes and corn and tomatoes or tried to grow tomatoes blight this year has been an interesting journey yeah i i uh, i tried to <laughs> I tried to grow tomatoes, but they, none of them, they all got blight, I think, and it didn't work out for me. Is that the same for you? Every house, yeah, got blight. And it's, it's actually raises, you know, issues around food security, around climate change. So the reason that blight was so bad this, this year, for anyone who doesn't know, it's, it's a kind of a fungus that's airborne that can affect potatoes and tomatoes. And it, humidity helps it to breed, basically. And we had a series of wet and warm weathers alongside each other and basically it's wiped out everybody's tomatoes across Swansea everyone I've spoken to I think the only ones that have survived are growing in the back of Hugo and I'm not sure I'm not sure how that we've got a little greenhouse yeah I mean I think it's important to link that to the climate emergency really isn't it and the effect of that yeah. because what I've gathered from various experts is that really the first big impact that we will feel here in Britain as a result of the climate emergency is impacts on our food supply and uh, for farmers and growers making it more and more difficult to reliably harvest food for local needs so it's a key point that isn't it 
Yeah, and we're going back to how things used to be where people would grow their own food for their house and make their own products that we we got so busy in the last 10 years that everyone stopped doing that and we were all running around doing everything else. But actually when lockdown happened and every, all that busyness kind of stopped, instantly we're back to everyone's growing something on their windowsill and engaging with nature. And I think it really shows that it's kind of built into us. And if we do neglect that, we are losing part of our heritage. Room to Grow tries to put that on the forefront. So so when you're walking in the street, you can see it. And then, and then those conversations start. Some kids don't even know what courgette is or how it grows or there's male and female flowers like people are learning stuff all the time like there's I'm no expert can I just put my hand up and say that I'm not an expert but I've got a passion to see things happen and to engage with the food system and engage with growing organically we got the right people around us giving us knowledge and expertise and answering questions the internet's at our fingertips you know we don't need to train in the way that we might have used to before you know we had a we had a harvest we had a harvest um, sale at Huga which was really nice where we were able to sell our beetroots and kohlrabi and salads. More salad that you, than you can imagine was growing just on King Edward's Road. You know, it's incredible. There was actually one day in the restaurant, we normally get our salad from Kaitan. They'd had some problems with wet weather and storms that had damaged their crops in the Gawa. We were short on salad, so I had to run to the shop to get some. All of a sudden, I start legging it down uh, Brynamore Road. I got about halfway and I was like, why am I running to Tesco's when there's fresh salad on King Edward's and I turned around and I ran there and it was just incredible like picking it and legging it back to the restaurant and just knowing that that is so much tastier better quality organic produce that is free it's literally you know we put a couple of seeds in the ground and we had more than we could manage you know so it's incredible it really really incredible journey to be on and it gave gave me a purpose during lockdown because because my business was closed I couldn't do anything we had rent to pay you know we didn't we didn't get a reduction on our rent so the stresses were there and it was a really good outlet and it just shows you know the positive impact that growing produce can have on, on you it's kept me sane for sure yeah and so you've signed up six or seven households in the local area who gave you access to their unused lands or their front gardens and how did it work then did you go along and and plant the stuff or how how involved are the homeowners in that process how does it work we were running a pilot and I think at the, at the beginning we thought we don't need any input from them and we tried to we tried to create a model that if there was a, a landowner that didn't even live in the property and was just happy to give it to us or, or couldn't maybe they have mobility issues or whatever reason couldn't be involved we wanted to design the project to like not need them partly because people are a bit scared and it would be pressure on them to perform in some way. So we were like, you don't have to do anything. We'll come in and do everything. So then I rallied some volunteers. I put a shout out on Huga community um, and we built raised beds for them. We designed to each property and we, we installed a water butt so that we could uh, harvest rainwater. So we wouldn't be, you know, disturbing neighbors, especially with COVID, we couldn't, we couldn't be in and out of properties. So we wanted it to be as separate as possible. We shoveled loads of compost in. We did raised beds because they're less intrusive to some a pilot scheme because we're not pulling up concrete at this stage. And then we did a planting day with the community with thanks to the, to the local police and councillors again for getting us permission to be out in that capacity during a lockdown. And then, yeah, we tended to them. The households have had varying involvement. Some have been out every day watering and laying down shells so that the slugs don't get them and all that kind of thing really 
really involved. Others thought they didn't know anything about it and all of a sudden a bounty of produce and are now more engaged and more confident with their growing. And then others, one was a HMO property and it was empty for the whole summer and um, students have just moved in over the last couple of weeks so we've introduced ourselves to them and that one was fully managed by us. So going forward now we are looking for more properties to do and we'll kind of work on a spectrum of how involved they want to be and work with them that way because we don't have the capacity to to manage every site so engagement from the homeowners will will be great and we do want to just inspire people to do their own they don't have to wait for us to come and do it for them if they feel inspired to to build their own planter we're more than happy to advise or or to supply the planter itself and then they grow their own produce and i think you know one of the key benefits of the scheme is that you and your volunteers have got the skills and the confidence that i think a lot of us just don't have i mean i guess in my granddad's day everyone had an allotment didn't they and they knew how to grow their own food but we don't have those skills anymore we've lost them i think it's partly a confidence issue and just not knowing where to start so i suppose in that way you're bringing skills and expertise and there's a there's a real transfer of valuable knowledge. Do you see that as a key part of the mission? Absolutely. And it really activates knowledge that's already in the community. So people passing by, giving advice, or we need to build up that corn or, or whatever. You know, there, there is knowledge in the community. It's just we're not talking to each other. So this project's about activating community members to meet each other and share that knowledge. I'm not an ex, you know, the expert. I'm really not. But we do have people coming in and... and advising externally and then we share that knowledge with people and and like I said yeah people passing by giving their two cents about this and that and and that's how we learn and that's the fun thing about it and people are turning up giving us plants that they'd grown at home or you know asking can they have a cutting of this or that so yeah it's just, it is a confidence issue I completely agree and and I think loneliness is a big thing in our community no matter how busy and full of life we all might look sometimes you know if you're not connected with your neighbors it's a real shame I, I feel like room to grow is like the perfect connective kind of force mm. for the community to meet each other to swap food to laugh to cry you know to really be on that journey together and break down barriers meet people you've never met before some of our volunteers were isolating for their on their own you know for for 12 weeks during lockdown and and coming and volunteering a couple of times with us just gave them a purpose for that week even you know and and they, they were really thanking us for being able to be involved and feeling connected to something when one guy was a student he's in his third year but he's had to take some time out and so his family were all in England he was in lockdown by himself really and didn't, hadn't ever really connected with Swansea community in that way because he'd been in his university bubble. So we were able to kind of get him, meet him families who've got kids who are from here or learn about other projects that are going on. So it's a real hub of community knowledge sharing. Yeah, just a sense of purpose that, yeah, it's just incredible. That's one of the most incredible things that's come out of it, I think. It must have been a really rewarding experience so far what are some of the challenges I mean I think as a change maker we all feel it don't we that we're we're trying to make something good happen we're trying to do something for the community but there are always obstacles and challenges you have to have quite a lot of resilience and perseverance yourself what are some of the challenges and and how have you overcome those so I suppose a big challenge is is a fear of, of not knowing where to start 
but I feel like by talking to like-minded people and having you know talk approaching the councillors and things that really opened some doors and made things happen obstacles I mean there's been quite a few this year hasn't <laughs> with growing it was a physical task we had to do we had nowhere to store any compost so the day the very moment it, a ton of manure arrives outside one of the properties that I don't live at I had to be there and make sure that it was moved in time for it not to cause an obstruction to the street um, so starting a project with no real base was an interesting challenge luckily I had Huga and we used it for incubating all of our seedlings which is really nice so I'm, I was lucky in that way that I had a bit of space resource challenges wise I mean I've been pretty lucky so far in that it seems to be a project that people have been waiting for they really have engaged with it we had an instant community online instant support almost due to I guess COVID lockdowns and the local councillor Mary Sherrod really wanting to see communities thrive in this time and yeah without her support and encouragement to get it started in May when everything was closed and I was like you want me to do this now she was like would you and I was like yeah okay without that would it have happened I don't I don't know maybe it wouldn't have happened so quickly or I would have had would have had the confidence to do it so I think it is about people really that's that's they're the answer you know and a bit of encouragement and then you've got to be crazy enough like me to just give it a go <laughs> I mean that's interesting what you've said actually and I think that's true in a lot of ways that we're all really keen to support great projects like this that come up we all want to see more community growing more local food we want to see more sustainable approaches to our way of life but somebody has to actually take the plunge, don't they? All these projects. And, and this is something we've learned over a couple of years of, of running for the region, which um, supports and amplifies the work of change makers, is that you can have as many fantastic ideas for projects as you like. But actually, at the end of the day, it takes one person or a small group of people to say, OK, we will do this. And then once that leader is in place and the kind of leadership, the core team, everyone rallies around. And I hope that's what you've found, that, you know, people are really hungry for this kind of community led intervention. Uh, but it still comes down to the entrepreneur with the guts to just make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, there's a lot that goes into running a project like you say you've got to have a good idea you've got to work out how is it going to work these pilots like we've just delivered are essential for working out what the problems are how do how do we manage space that doesn't belong to us and how do we make sure nothing gets damaged or what we build these in a way that they are what the customer wants what the homeowner wants and that they solve more problems than they cause and also like insurance for volunteers and you have to think about all those things getting materials during lockdown was an interesting one queuing for four hours outside Hancock and Brown to pick up timber to, to build planters and, and not having a big enough vehicle to really get enough so having to do that a few times you know it was there was a lot of time spent <laughs> uh, in that car park I made some friends in there there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes the volunteer management and and, and obviously when August came the business reopened and that was a challenge because I had to put a lot of my energy back into making sure that my staff were were ready for the eat out to help out scheme basically six weeks of consecutive weekends busy days which was fantastic it's just what we needed but you know it was a real a real challenge and I guess managing expectations of the homeowners that have got the planters installed and like I said I think that the 
project has morphed a little bit from where it started, perhaps where we thought we could go in and manage them all and be in control of the produce and share it in certain ways. I think maybe the future of the project will be more collaborative, maybe pairing up community members who don't have gardens. Maybe they live in a flat, and but they'd like a space to manage. So if there is a household that can't or don't want to look after it, then, then another community member can come and take charge of it and doing it in that way and sharing the load. Um, I think that's a real skill that I'm quite good at doing and, and then it's learning how to delegate and to share that responsibility. And that's what I'm excited for for the next bit, you know, to get some kind of house leaders on board. So really interesting there, some insights about learning as you go along, plunging in and then figuring it out as you go, and then also being willing to adapt and evolve your idea based on what's working. And so you've talked about the project as a pilot scheme. Tell us a little bit about what's next. You know, how do you hope to grow the idea and, and grow the impact? So what's next room to grow? Well, we've just done an install outside of Crumbs, which was a mural on some concrete barriers that we've got. And um, we've installed some pollinator attracting plants and herbs. And that idea is that we want to see as much green space in Swansea as possible. For those listeners that aren't familiar with Uplands, Crumbs is another local cafe restaurant. And one of the restaurants that's taken up the offer of making larger outside space, outside seating. And I think that took the form of some concrete barriers in the road. And when those first went up, it was a bit like, OK, well, it's great to see the business flourishing and making some more trading space but this looks ugly and then uh, the next time I saw it it's been transformed with some amazing artwork and as you say you've, you've planted things in there. The whole concept of room to grow is thinking outside of the box of where you can grow so our next phase is going to be about piloting all of these ideas let's grow vertically let's install a vertical garden somewhere let's do some roof gardens and see what that looks like let's make a green corridor so we're going to plant as many gardens along king edward roads riddens park and potentially go to uh, crescent which kind of joins the two cafes just for some concept so my cafe is at the start of the trail which was the hub of where it all started and then crumbs kind of is at the end of that trail so that creates a nice little story for the concept again to, to be wider why can't this be uk-wide idea but let's start small so within the next pilot phase two pilot let's call it another pilot of the green corridor we're going to have about 60 percent of the gardens will be for food growing purposes there'll be mini allotments exactly like we just did we're going to do four seasons of growing working with our horticultural expert ben from dirt deliveries and he'll be guiding us through what to plant at different times of year and that kind of thing so we're going to install around minimum of 15 of those and then the other kind of 30 to 40 percent of the gardens will be for nature purposes so the further you go into this journey I started it being like oh if you can't eat it what's the point in growing it and then instantly I was like I need pollinators I need insects I need all of these things so that <laughs> that very naive concept has gone out the window and now we're going to have gardens dedicated purely for attracting pollinators purely for butterflies we're going to have an insect sanctuary so if there are some rogue caterpillars on our cabbages again we can safely transport them to a nature reserve almost on king edward road where kids can come and visit and watch them grow and all that kind of thing so really engage people in the whole process like insects and pests are not our enemies they're not pests biodiversity is key and i think one thing that i've really learned in this time and during lockdown and everything is about growing for human benefit 
it's, it's normally about us, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to plant some flowers because it looks nice or I'm going to grow some food because I'm hungry. When actually, if you grow with those practices, one of the big problems that we've got from an environmental pro- point of view is that it can have more harm than good. If you are using compost that's got peat in it, the CO2 emissions are huge. Uh, if you're using non-organic fertilizers, you can really start leaching stuff into this, into the groundwater and the soil that you don't want to be doing. If you're using pesticides, especially non-eco-friendly ones, which is a paradox, you know, you're fighting nature that needs to be there for the ecosystem to exist for us to even have the food in the first place. If you can't pollinate, how are you going to have food? And I think these are these are the things that have gotten lost in in translation over the last few years. And we need to come straight back to nature and accepting, yes, 20% of your crops will go to pests and that's okay. We're not in a fight with nature. We need to collaborate with it. And yeah, hopefully this next phase will bring what we did in the, in, in the first one where we had, we did have lavender on each site and we had marigolds for the, you know, for the tomatoes and that kind of thing. This, this idea of companion plants that deter pests instead of using pesticides. But these gardens that are purely for nature, I'm so excited for. Um, they're going to look beautiful. They're going to really attract nature to what is a con- concrete jungle currently. Um, you know, yeah. instead of bins and bin bags, let's have wildflower and crops. I can't wait. So yeah, one of the challenges locally in Uplands is we're right next to Swansea University. So it's a huge student area. And then, as you've already mentioned, a lot of the properties are owned by landlords. They're HMO properties. They're unoccupied for part of the year. And then for the rest of the year, there are students. And there's quite a lot of division in the community. And as you say, the streetscape is often quite a mess. And so I love the way that this project kind of multi-solves. It solves that kind of community integration bit that you were talking about involving people and and tackling kind of loneliness or isolation or people not knowing their neighbors. But it also just improves the streetscape, doesn't it? As you're walking around, wouldn't it be amazing to see those front gardens which have been tarmacked over or just graveled because it's low maintenance, transformed into engaging green spaces and you can yeah totally pick one on the way past the most common questions i get asked are what are you doing for a start (laughs) but are you not worried that people are gonna vandalize or come in and i think i think that fear of the community itself accentuates the problem because people are too scared to do anything nice in case it gets ruined so then they don't do anything nice and then it gets worse and then they're blaming each other for it and i think yes okay being a university city has its challenges but it's got so many more opportunities than it does challenges and i think we need to change the way that we see that integration and and in some ways if the properties are empty for the whole summer and that's when the harvest is then it's our produce <laughs> for the community to enjoy you know so so the, you know there's winds and you know it's, it's straight yeah, up i really resonate with what you've said there we're for the region is now the hosts of a new community rail partnership for southwest wales and part of that is looking at disused land around train stations and we're having all sorts of conversations about land around swansea train station and particularly the forecourt there there's a big area of just concrete in front of swansea train station and you think this is not a great public space it's not a great welcome for people coming off the train and it could be brought to life with with growing and planting and all sorts of things but of course everyone says well you know but what about vandalism and what about you know people hanging about if you put seating and it's like well actually what we need to do is involve community members and and create that sense of ownership and create nice places for people to be and not be scared of community members engaging with it 
yeah yeah absolutely I think what's the point if we can't engage with all the different types of people in the community and and a lot of them feel isolated which is what causes bad behavior sometimes anyway so like that's let's engage and yeah okay if some of them get ruined I'm sure there'll be outcry so it's okay I don't need to fight that battle I'm sure plenty of people will fight it for me so let's engage each other people have never met you know during lockdown I did my own well I've started my own garden much to my partner's despair it's not finished unlike everyone else's but even my I've met my neighbors through it and and you know she's chatting to me about she's from Hungary and she doesn't know many people here and it really creates a, a cohesive community those communities that really find their common ground transform concrete into green growing space it's carbon capture it's it helps with flood defense seeing some really bad flooding flash flooding around these areas as well um because the drains can't cope with the with the freak weather and actually if we pull up these concrete slabs or build raised bed planters it helps stop that water runoff causing so many problems and water butts do that there's simple solutions that you know honestly the amount of like positives that have come out of this project is it's incredible so i'm really excited so yeah the next phase is exciting because we're going to explore the the nature gardens the butterfly the pollinators we're also going to have some we're putting we're trying to get some funding together for this but we want to take some data on air quality and water quality uh, and rainfall and all those things so we can really start to measure the impacts of these gardens because okay they're small spaces you know there may be two, two to four meters squared, the actual planters themselves. But if we add that up and multiply it by the hundreds of front gardens there are, it's actually a really, you know, it's that's a lot of growing spaces. So we just have to think outside the box, start growing, like I said, vertically, get some green roofing going and, and be at the heart of it. So yeah, it's really exciting how things just kind of transform as you go along. I think what you'll probably find is businesses across the city centre and all sorts of landlords and landowners, once they realise there's a project locally that can help them bring their disused lands back into more beneficial use, you know, these kind of buildings are such an opportunity and hopefully as more people hear about the work you're doing, you'll be invited into all sorts of disused spaces uh, to breathe life back into them. Are you looking at, at, at the city centre and the city more broadly or will it stay very much a kind of Uplands focus? I think, so just for the very start, we were quite strict on it being Uplands and Windmill purely because of the capacity that we had to start and we didn't want to bite off more than we could choose too early on. And also impact like the second pilot um, with the green corridor is going to be in this area again just to give back because we did a crowdfunder so people paid money in to see us to, to help us get started so we want to re really make them feel like they they've benefited from that contribution which we couldn't have done without them so thank you to everyone who's who's donated but absolutely on the wider scale if we can work out ways of working with city center i mean we'd love to see a roof farm somewhere in Swansea and be at the heart of that. We're researching hydroponic growing at the moment. We really want to kickstart something in Swansea and make Swansea the greenest city in Wales. Why not? Why can't it be? We've declared a climate emergency already and the one planet city concept, which is based around the fact that, you know, by basically April or June each year, we've used up all of the resources that we should have had for the whole year. Um, and how do we combat that? Um, and Swansea have signed up to these things, but where's the evidence of it? So I think there's there's definitely a strategic time to be moving on these things and saying, okay, if this is what we want, 
this is what we need to do and here's some simple solutions we're happy to get it going but we do need support we need volunteers we need spaces we need funding um these things aren't, aren't free we're trying to work on maybe like a the idea of a membership for people who do want to grow in their own front garden maybe we can't we can't afford to install in everyone's for free there's no way however maybe you can join room to grow as a member and receive seeds and information and be part of that community like some people have a bit of knowledge or passion or interest to do it but they just are scared and maybe they can join as a member and that membership money can help us transform other spaces so i think there can be some real knock-on effects that we're, we're trying to build into the new structure of, of what we're doing and yeah the sky's the limit really <laughs> yeah amazing and you've mentioned already that there's no reason why this project couldn't become a model for other towns and other cities and across our own region here in southwest wales there are some amazing projects aren't there you've mentioned kai town which is a community supported agriculture project we're also working with a project in Carmarthenshire called Incredible Edibles and we're yes. looking around um, Llanetli train station for opportunities for growing there. Do you feel part of a movement around local food, local growing? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, I instantly had support from Swansea Organic Growers online or, or Swansea Growing Partnership and also Graft who were down in the, in the museum doing their soil-based syllabus. Really, I think... There is a community and there's expertise to draw on. And I think if anybody feels like they want to start something, just reach out and there's people who want to help you because we can't do everything ourselves. We do need the community to get on board and we're more than happy to like hold the torch and lead the way. But you know, there's more than we can handle here. So if anybody wants to get in touch, um, if they've got a space and they want some advice, maybe they've got a budget they can spend on the space and they, they want us to come and install, whatever it is, like we're more than happy to, to get involved and to help you on your journey. And, and bring you into the room to grow community there's a lot of room to grow in swansea so let's just do it <laughs> oh all the puns yeah great you know i think that's really important i think sharing knowledge across the region for those who are running projects sharing what you've learned sharing some of the the expertise that you've gained to help others empower themselves in their own communities. That's what For the Region is all about, really joining up and amplifying the work of people like you, Angie, who are blazing a trail and are just trying to involve more people in these projects. We need, we need this to be happening right across the region and it could make a massive impact, um, not just on food and, and local growing, but on community, as you've said, and well-being. Well, I just love the project and I talk about it all the time. So it's been really great to sit down with you and sort of understand how it started and, and hear more about the journey. But do keep us posted as it progresses and uh, we'll certainly share updates from you as you move into the next stage and as the project rolls forward. But in the meantime, thanks Angie so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It looks beautiful and sunny where you are there. <laughs> I'll show you a courgette that's growing. We've got some beans behind me and then there's a, there's a big old courgette here as well. Wow. So that's yeah. like straight on the doorstep. I've just dug a really tiny bed um, and it's just, it's amazing how easy it is. So if I can do it, you can do it. Get involved. Wow. Oh, brilliant. Well done. Thanks again for talking to us and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Bye.